Shit. Shit, 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 shit. Ah, fuck! What's up, everybody? Good morning. It's pretty early for us here at Fuck I Forgot to Save headquarters. Of course, you are listening to Fuck I Forgot to Save, the only video game podcast that's left. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, with me, yeah, rip. Uh, with me are my good friends, Gus. How's it going? Hey, Nat, going pretty well. How's it going with you? It's going great. Thank you so much. We've got Eric, who is... Uh, Kind of the uh, de facto producer for Fuck I Forgot to Save, as it is part of the Friendly Reminder Podcast Network. Eric, how's it going? Hey, how you doing, Nick? Good morning. Bueno. And for the first time ever on Fuck I Forgot to Save, we've got Mr. Justin joining us. Justin, what's going on, dude? I am good. Big fan of the show. Seen all the episodes. Wonderful. You've seen them? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, actually, that's amazing. This is an audio-only podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've never even seen him. In, in, that was supposed to be yeah, only for in us. Technicolor, guys. How's everybody doing? Right. Very good. Chilling. Ready to talk Chilling. about video games. Yeah, it's been a month. Scary, spooky video games. Ooh, yeah. Pokemon Snap. Horrifying, yeah. Um, so it's been a month since our last episode. Some stuff has happened. Some news has happened. Uh, but also, we've been playing some games. Uh, let's go with our guest first, Justin what you been up to? What have you been playing? Melee. That's almost all it. I play Smash Bros. every day of my life. I used to call it healthy. I'm not sure it is anymore. I also picked up some of the... Uh, there were some sales on Switch, and I bought like 10 games, and I started playing a bunch of them. Uh, Grandia, the original first one. Uh, Dude, yeah. I, yeah, that's Yeah, I got it too. Wild. Well, I... I was playing uh, the second one, though, because it comes with one and two, right? It comes with both, yeah. Why didn't they include the third one? I was confused by that. I have no idea. Oh, I, I don't think I remembered that there was a Grandia 3. Was that, uh, what What platform was that? I think that was a different, much later system, and that maybe that's why it wouldn't have worked. No, I, it was no? PS2, I think. Um, oh, okay. And it came out, like, maybe a year or two after Grandia 2. I think it just bombed. It was, like, bad. I don't, mm-hmm. I've never played anybody that said that they liked that game, so... I played the two on the Dreamcast. Oh, my God. I didn't know Grandia 2 was on the Dreamcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I played it on the Dreamcast, too. It was like, at the time, it was like, wow, check out this fucking video game. It looks good. This <laughs> yeah. game looks awesome. It was awesome. I played that entire game on a one of those little mini, like, five-inch PS2 screens that's portable that goes on top of your PS2 uh, in in my, like, m- my family's minivan on a road trip to like Florida for two days or some shit. Uh, and it was an incredible experience. I also like binged Love Hina. So that should date how long screen. ago that was. On the same screen. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're off to a great start. We're talking Melee, Grandia 2, yeah. tiny little PlayStation this is, this screen. podcast from I 2002. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I tried to get back into Hades. There were like a couple achievements that I didn't get as I was running out. And man, that is not like riding a bike. Like I, I was pretty, pretty confident in everything I was able to do in that game. Uh, but once you like take a few weeks away and you go back, you're you're an idiot again. You have no skill. By achievements, do you mean? So you narratively, you saw the whole game, right? You saw the true ending. So I never saw any repeated content. By the way, I was going to ask you about that. 
I have 120 runs and like 42 clears, and I never saw repeated content. Wow. Yeah, I well, mean, like I, the normal stuff. Yeah, 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 I, yeah I guess yeah. I thought some. Yeah, there there are dialogue lines definitely that are repeated, just because they there are they still dialogue to, lines but... that have not that I haven't seen. Like right. every time I go through a run, it's like, oh man, this person has this thing to say, and it's several several people that have that. So have I talked about Hades on this podcast? I feel like not if, enough. Yeah, <laughs> in my opinion. Oh damn! I feel like maybe nobody <laughs> okay. knows that I uh, kind of down to spend. Fucking love that game. We should just yeah. Let's just the whole hour and a half. Let's just talk about Hades. I'm ready for that. Do a little <laughs> quick. No, we got five minutes to gush, and then let's go. No, I'm just kidding. I actually do think most of your Hades talk has been on friendly reminder and like a recap shows. Yeah. And necessarily yeah that's here. that's actually true but we can probably assume that it's a shared audience but in case you're in case you're not aware uh hades real good game go fucking play it please i wanted to go back so you said you've been playing melee but i want to i mean i know that when you say melee that comes with a few caveats um you've been playing slippy which is a uh a mod for uh, for Super Smash Brothers Melee that allows it to be played online with rollback netcode. And uh, so real quick, I'll give the rollback netcode primer. Um, so fighting games specifically um, are very sensitive to delays in network uh, traffic or, or uh, packet sending and receiving data packets. Um and for years and years and years, most fighting games ran on what's called delay-based netcode, which basically in, it, it adds a few frames of delay to your inputs to account for the fact that some of that data is going to take a while to get to the other player. Um, so it's basically like making you wait, right? Making, your moves, making you wait for your moves to come out after you push a button. Um, Rollback netcode, which is a more recent, well, actually not that much more recent, but it's recently becoming more popular, is a solution that basically saves game states so that it can rewind back to the correct state after it receives inputs. And if this this is probably too technical for this sort of a podcast, but um, basically, rollback netcode is undeniably better. It makes for a smoother gameplay experience at the cost of there being, at, at times, graphical kind of hitches, but the, the, the feel of the game remains uh, essentially um, as close to a personal, local match as, as is possible over a network. Um, so anyway, tell us, tell us about your experiences on Slippy, because I've, I've played a tiny bit of Slippy too. Uh, so I, I guess first... So there's a common misconception in in the the FGC, the fighting game community. Sorry, that um, that thinks that the mod for Melee is somehow like modifying gameplay or enhancing or adding characters or all this other stuff that so many other Smash clones, Brawlhalla, and uh, uh, other permutations uh, of Melee that have existed. This isn't that at all. It just modifies the interface and and the rollback netcode, like you said. So it's it's pure unadulterated melee in 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 the sense of a gameplay perspective uh and it came out at just the right time i mean like a month after the pandemic hit real bad 
was was when they dropped it and it's like oh this is exactly what we needed there there was some problems with it with the interface there was no longer the chat that happened after because prior to this slippy did not have this mod built in it, it did have the ability for you to play online but it didn't have rollback net code and it didn't have matchmaking it didn't have a lot of other the, the interfaces that it has now so you would like most online games that weren't intended to be online you'd, you'd have it through like a, a portal on your computer and then it would sync with that and you know trick the nintendo gamecube software into thinking it's playing somebody in the room but it's actually playing someone online and it took a little finagling in order to get it to work and it was really messy uh but there was an online community that was built for it and i i, I personally kind of miss that community because people were nicer <laughs> honestly people when you're forced to talk to the person before and after the game it right it made for more of a i mean sure there was a lot of toxicity too but, but you got to find them you got to set um, up a lobby right exactly so you're you're, you're yeah. communicating before you're matched with them right and and it takes and now that we're in a situation where i mean i click two buttons and i'm playing somebody in in another country you know and i gotta and say that's it incredible. is incredible it is fucking instantaneous it has the fastest matchmaking it's I amazing have ever experienced it is unbelievably fast it is why i don't play anything else because when i get home and i want to just decompress you know I, my brain's been working a million miles a minute and i just i want to click two buttons and then play somebody like it's it's so infectious i have all these other games that i bought that i want to play and i like i have to play melee a little bit for me to like recharge myself so i can go play another video game <laughs> um but the, the net play experience through through the new slippy mod uh it, interesting that you mentioned how it does affect graphical situations so the meta for slippy has has actually changed a bit and it's different from lan so there are some characters that have frame one inputs uh fox has his shine um marth is able to dash dance uh, a, a good distance within a one frame um input and what this does is there is a mix-up that is present in... If, if you can tell by looking at ping and looking at, at the distance from your, from your uh, opponent, you can tell how many frames, just do the quick math, might be dropped if there's some sort of a lag spike. You can actually exploit this. Uh, Marth gets free grabs now in certain situations because he's able to dash dance this like this, and then all of a sudden he switches it, and now he's over here and he's got you. And it it's forced the meta into which i like actually because this is my jam it's forced the meta into predicting your opponent rather than reacting to your opponent because you don't have the time to react and even though it's a seamless experience there's never any dropped inputs which is the big thing in fighting games you never want any dropped inputs one dropped input can ruin an entire match um it it has there there have been online tournaments from the pandemic uh and there will likely continue to be online tournaments now that that's something that's been established but we just recently started doing a few months ago uh you know in the room tournaments again with social distancing and players wearing masks and stuff <laughs> and, and you could tell the difference in certain matchups like oh well that probably works on the internet on slippy what we've been playing for over a year same thing has been happening in the street fighter community interesting like, there there are people who say oh he's a real good online player but we'll see how he does wow on on land yeah how how ubiquitous is rollback in like bigger fighting game franchises not so not ubiquitous not enough. enough yeah there's still so the one the, the game that's coming out soon that will i hope uh kind of force developers to 
consider at least consider rollback for their games in the future is Guilty Gear Strive because we've so far we've had two betas of that, uh, two public betas anyway, and I mean it's it's flawless, it's incredible netcode. Everything else about the online experience is dog shit, but the the gameplay itself once you're in the match fighting it's fantastic. So, but but yeah, there are still games. So I mean, as recently as um, what was the the last big fighting game I think that came out was Grand Blue Fantasy Versus, and it came out like a month before lockdown started, and it has terrible netcode, um, and that killed the game. So we we all went into lockdown. People realized that that game was essentially unplayable online, and that was that. Um, yeah, because otherwise it's a fantastic game. So, anything else, Justin? On melee, I mean, how much time do we have? Uh, <laughs> I play every day, literally. Like it's very rarely that I don't go a day. And so interesting, I, I got to play one of my heroes, actually my only hero, uh, the best Samus on the planet, and I beat him. I, I played him a few months ago, and he was under a Smurf account, so I didn't know it was him. But I later found out that it was him, and it's the only Samus I've ever lost to ever. I actually very proudly don't lose very often, but when I lose, I lose pretty bad. There's like a whole another level of pro that's above me. But I, I recently got to play him a, a couple weeks ago, again, just through matchmaking, and I was able to take two matches, and that was a huge I did it moment. And all the pros, I mean, from what I have seen, have like, maybe it's just Samus's, maybe it's just like the, the low tiers or the mid-tier character players, but just so much respect for the game and so much joy and admiration for others that are like trying to get better i mean the guy that i played is like for the past 10 years has been consistently ranked top 32 in the world like out of a game that has like over a hundred thousand tournament entrants like that's huge yeah um, huge scene yeah what's his name what's the what's this player's name hugs uh okay we're the same age and we're both into craft beer so oh it's a we're match made in next heaven. week yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that has been, I think, the most rewarding experience for for Slippy was being able to get to play these pros because in the previous, you know, way that you synced up with people, you those people only play each other, right? They don't that that visibility, that accessibility isn't present anymore, and so now you're randomly matched with people if you're good enough, uh, which is fucking cool, yeah. man. It's huge. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's it. That's it's important. All I wanted in a game like that. Uh huh. I agree. Cool, man. That's awesome. All right. Uh, Gus, well, actually, you know what, Gus, we'll come back to you because because you've been playing RE8. I've also been playing RE8, so maybe we'll kind of combine our forces there a little bit. Eric, let's move oh, on. I was just gonna you. say I also have been playing a crap ton of Pokemon Snap, but um. Oh, cool. Right on. Yeah, we'll we'll have that talk too here in a little bit. So, Eric, or well, Eric, you've been playing Pokemon Snap. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's great so far. I barely, I just unlocked the the glowy orb. Ooh, very cool. To be as vague as possible. Uh, yeah, like we're not that far. My wife and I have been playing, and we're not quite that far yet. Well, I mean, we've been we've played like three of the little missions, so we're not we haven't really played it that much. But yeah, yeah it's uh, it's I like it a lot. It's a lot of fun, and yeah, actually, I think I think I'm actually okay at it. <laughs> I've been consistently getting some pretty good shots, but I can't. I'm not good at finding like the rarer stuff, but I can. I'm good at like centering and sizing. Ooh, but it's I like the. Um, I like the the system of how the star system. I don't know what you think about that. It's interesting how yeah, you basically get in a way four 
main pictures added to your Pokédex for Pokémon. Yeah. Am I understanding that right? So it yeah, it took us yeah, it took us a while to figure out that's really not communicated well. No. How no, the actually. stars like <laughs> cuz you not at all. Yeah, it really isn't. Um It's not communicated at all. You you're working through pictures and you're like I already have this picture. What, right. Why is it saying I don't have one? It, yeah, it's like at first you think it's a rating. It's like oh, there's right? different tier well, levels. It's not a rating. Right. Yeah, it's not it's not a rating. It's like a it's right. like like every other yeah. multiple star uh-huh. system in video games <laughs> and ever. beyond, like, like but then it's like views. Okay, you get all that shit. Either yeah. one to uh, four right. stars, but they're also either bronze to diamond. So that was the that was the disconnect. Right, right dude. <sighs> so which is yeah, and the the decision that makes one slide or one shot different than another seems to be arbitrary. It's like hard coded. I think. Yeah, it's just like when you catch them in this in this pose, it's this. Ridiculous. In this pose, it's this. It's just like the different conditions that yeah, that, that, and it wasn't until was under. Yeah. I fi- I saw that there were tabs per star. When you actually go to the Pokedex for each Pokemon, you can tab through one, two, three, or four at the end of each of each mission. When you're going through, I'm like, oh, they're different, right? They're different, yeah, sections like classes almost of of a picture, right? That, that's actually my biggest complaint with the game is that what it forces the player to do is just take a crap ton of pictures of one Pokemon and hope that you mm. catch it in whatever pose that you need to. And then you that no, it forces that you makes, to try to make the pose. It forces you to try to create either a one, two, three or four star situation. I think that's the well, I think that's what they were going for. Right. But it didn't. But there. But yeah, it was just it's too vaguely construed, yeah. like portrayed. The, yeah. Uh, conveyed conveyance yes yeah because i don't have to spend time analyzing this pokemon's path i can just drop a whole load on a pokemon and then be like okay cool i hit all four stars next pokemon like and that i mean you you do that and then you just exit out of the 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 world i mean you're not wasting time it i feel like it took away from the experience like the first like 10 missions that I went on, I'm like in wonder again, like I'm playing Pokemon Snap for the first time and I'm having these memories of going to Blockbuster to print out my snaps only to find that they're like the size of a quarter and cost like six bucks. I'm like, wow, fuck that. I'm never doing that again. But but the fact that everybody around the world was doing this and there was, I, I got reminded of all that nostalgia and I was really excited to play these until I like found the code to break it and then it's like, oh, I guess actually not as much fun. But wasn't that wasn't that the exact same criticism of the sixty four game? I mean, like in terms of how you were rated for the the way you took the pictures, it was a very rigged system that didn't allow for a lot of creativity. You kind of had to follow it by the numbers. I'm not a Pokemon Snap fan by any means. I kind of think that that's a series that's built on nostalgia more than anything else. And if we hadn't played it when we were children, we probably wouldn't have even cared for it. Um, but I think. From everything that I've seen revisiting the 64 game, that was one of the biggest complaints about that. I, I think it was installment. better, though, because it didn't have this partition of of one to two to three to four stars in, in slides. I think that it meant like, yeah, you, you could take pictures that, you know, aren't going to be like perfect, not good enough. But like, oh, man, at least I got a shot of that one Pokemon and I'll come back when it's like in a better position. I think it meant the it meant that the farming of better shots wasn't so I'm going to blow my load. It was instead like there was patience and there was, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to see what I can do to this Pokemon and oh, different things. Oh man, if I hit this Magikarp so many times it moves, I wonder if I hit it enough times. Oh crap, that's a Gyarados. Things, things like that, that I haven't found to be present in this game at all yet. 
Yeah, there's no evolution in this one, right? Like, there's no, like, you throw this person, or th this person, you throw a, a fruit to this Pokemon and it evolves somehow. I think that's not here in this game. If, there's no Yeah, I haven't seen yeah, no that if, if it is. Bummer. How do they take that out? That's, like, the whole thing of Pokemon. You either catch it or you evolve it. They're only doing... We're not even catching them. We're not even catching Have them. you guys gotten really far and not seen that? Because I haven't gotten very far at all, but I feel like it is there. Just I, I haven't game. seen it. I've been messing around with a lot of stuff. I'm I have twelve worlds unlocked. Oh wow, yeah, that's weird. The, I mean, I've seen so there's a there's a there's kind of a new thing with some glowy shit. Oh, the crystal. But, but I, yeah, all that does is guarantee a four star shot. Oh, is that that's, all that you is? Throw that on a poke. Okay. Yeah, oh, it's it's so. Yeah. Damn it, Nintendo. I love you, but hey, do you guys think yeah. they're gonna make like a Pokegram app? What they uh, like Instagram, but for like Pokemon. Instagram. Yeah. Well, doesn't this game have it where you can add filters and and whatnot and like? Make oh yeah, it a they little... do. Are, no, I think it is already in, do just that, in the that, game. Honestly, isn't it? can't you just? Send well, it, so it. I think there might be a thing that links up to your Nintendo. What is it called? Like the Nintendo Home app? Oh, or it might just be the Nintendo app on your phone. One thing nobody uses ever. Oh, Nintendo. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, we'll right. we'll talk about Nintendo bullshit here in a little bit. We're gonna have our Nintendo <laughs> bullshit minute. Um, okay. Yeah. We should make it a, a segment, segment for sure. What kind of music do you guys want? <laughs> Have you guys done the automatic thing for Pokemon Snap where it just decides the photos for you? Oh, that's what we, my wife and I have just been doing. Oh, it's awful. Oh, really? You, yeah, you would expect that since it's an algorithm that decides what's a good picture, that the algorithm would also decide to pick the best picture, but it doesn't. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, dude. it's stupid, dude. Stop oh, doing that. It's God. so... It's literally putting, it's like, oh, the other part of the game is making sure that you can outsmart the computer somehow. Like, interface is so bad. Okay. Yeah, sorry, dude. <laughs> oh, boy. So that's Pokemon Snap, I guess. I mean. <laughs> Why wouldn't you look through your pictures on Pokemon Snap? Isn't that half the game? It is half the game. That's So uh, that's but what I said. If there's an auto choice, there wasn't an auto choice before in the first yeah, one, no. the 64 version. You had to pick them yourself. So if you're going to add that feature... And it makes sense that you would to streamline it so that more of your time is based on taking the shots rather than. But you were also you yourself. were also taking you were taking fewer pictures in the N sixty four one. So you going through them at the end of the run was less of an less of an ask of right. the player. Right. So that by the time that we're here and there there's an automatic option to just streamline through it, you would expect Right. No one would expect otherwise. Oh, for, oh, for sure. Yeah. So how frustrating. I'd rather they just mm -hmm. not done the automatic thing at all because it just ruins people's lives like yours. See, now you got to go redo those. But to, I mean, well, so, uh, okay, I will say I don't really give a fuck about Pokemon Snap except sure. that it's a game that I can play with my wife and she doesn't give a fuck about what Professor Oak thinks about her photo or whoever the fuck Absolutely. it is. She just wants to get in there and throw shit at Pokemon and take pictures of them, and that's the game for her. So I could I could not give less of a shit about this algorithm, except that it's another example of Nintendo bullshit. You know what, though? You're right, yeah. because the game, like, we're all complaining about it, and, like, they're all valid complaints, 
we're all gonna go back and play it it's it's like, <laughs> like it's like those disney dark rides or whatever like when you're kind of like in a slow vehicle and there's some kind of element of interactivity like like i think there's a toy story one where you can zap things mm-hmm. and there's like technically there's points but you don't give a shit yeah. you're just kind of just having fun you're not trying to be competitive That's the about it. Ride. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that one and i was extra competitive yeah, I gave well, a shit. Yeah, I get, you're, I get you're competitive broken, on that, right, too. <laughs> you, we're broken individuals. I mean, the vast majority get on it, and they're not going to, like, yeah. actually look at their score and be like, I was in the top 2% of this ride. Like, Yeah. <laughs> I rode that ride, like, five times, man. Oh, Jesus <laughs> was... Christ. You spent, like, 10 hours in line. No, because when you had, like, Fast Pass or something, you just go right back to the front of the line when you get out. Yeah, okay. We can argue about the logistics of Disneyland here in a little bit. Yeah. Um, Disneyland. Do you guys use a gyro in Pokemon Snap? What? I tried it and oh. uh, and immediately turned it off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is usually how my experience with gyro controls goes. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't even try it. Um, what else have you been playing, Eric? Uh, I finally got uh, beat the first monster on the DLC for Monster Hunter Rise, the Chameleon. He's badass, uh, but his armor sucks. It's like Meaning the armor, the armor that you get, the armor that you forge from the parts, yeah. Uh, the ar- the the design is sort of of the armor is sort of like like a mage, like a very generic mage look, uh, with very poofy pants and goofy, kind of like, kind of like uh, a Kingdom Hearts character or or Vivi from from uh, FF Nine. Hmm. And yeah, it wasn't very appealing. So, uh, but the 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 battle itself is cool. That's that's as far as I got into the DLC though. Yeah, and I got back into playing Beat Saber. Oh, nice! On PSVR. Killer. Are you excited about PlayStation Five VR, Eric? Yeah, I think I might. Or do you do you feel like it's time? I f- I might wait for a bundle to come out if they ever make one, but yes, I I will probably hop onto that. If I don't, I don't know. See, because my brother is also helping me build a uh, a computer. Mm. Yeah, so maybe I'll just. So you might do PC VR. Yeah, so we'll see what my options are. Are you look? Do you have like a preference? Like, are you looking at getting a Vive? Maybe. Well, the the or the, just the, uh, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't. I haven't. I think I've only tried the Oculus. Cool. I haven't tried the Vive. The Vive is still like considered to be the higher end one, right? Like the index. The is index. Still the priciest. Yeah. 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 And I think HTC is coming up with some new ones soon that are like 4K or really high end. Um, yeah. Resolution, and they're gonna be like. A thousand dollars. What I'm curious about on the PSVR is that the cameras are on the headset, aimed at at the controllers, I guess, which are these little wrist thingies. I think it's. I think or like it, it like takes the with... yeah, it takes the controller positioning into effect, and I think it also does. It also looks at your room. room. Yeah. No way. That's yeah. Nice. I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure. So I'm, that's how that works. I'm curious how all that'll work or feel or whatever. We'll we'll see how what happens with that. Yeah. Th- so. Uh, I really, I've, I've had real good experiences in VR and real bad experiences in VR. And in terms of the tracking, the, the experience that I had that was the best was the PSVR. Um, so I would hope that they continue to get that right because when it, when that's wrong, I, I basically have to vomit. Like it is so bad for instant. my motion sickness yeah instant motion sickness so um so that's the real thing man that's what you're supposed to experience yes yeah. you're you're cheating out yeah yeah <laughs> um 
so you've been playing Beat Saber. What else have you been? Is that basically the extent of your VR? Uh, no, I hop around. I play Beat Saber. Oh, you know, I actually, I actually uh, hopped back into Skyrim for a while. Cool. Bummer. Um, because there was this cool. Um, Did you say bummer? <laughs> yeah. Bummer. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I also, <laughs> dude, I will, I will simu- simultaneously say bummer and cool about Skyrim. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Getting back into Skyrim. I'm sure you're uh, having a blast, but cool. I feel sorry for you. You know, kind of. Well, let me. Did you guys ever get the skeleton horse from the no one of the DLC? Uh-uh. It was like a skeleton horse so. that with blue fire. Sounds cool. I had to, yeah. So I, I hop back into that to get it because you have the skull. Is what the quests, the quest Wait. starters, you get his skull. So the horse has like an Arvac. attack animation now? Like you can or is it just fire well, that the, does nothing? No, it's he's a, he's like a he's like a black skeleton encased in fire. I see. In blue fire. So you yeah. can touch him and it doesn't hurt you. It doesn't hurt you. Yeah, Stupid. you ride you ride him. You ride he's one of your horses. You get him as the quest reward. And I was like, Oh, I wanna get this horse, but then I had to get bitten again and then get the horse and then get healed again. Are you uh, on the new continent? I didn't know that. Nack, did you know that there's a whole new continent for Skyrim? Yeah, you go to Morrowind. Yeah, I, yeah, you can go. Oh to Morrowind. man, yeah. that's Morrowind. Oh yeah. man, dude. But there's dragons over with the, there with the fungus. Yeah, this is, uh, is the giant mushrooms. No, I don't think there are dragons. There's no dragons. There are dragons. Though. Not on that continent. No. Okay, well then, Natalie is somewhere else. Natalie's been playing Skyrim for her first time. She started a few months ago. She only has like a hundred something hours. You know, no oh, big the deal. Veil. Maybe the it's veil? the veil. Yeah. Is there is there snow and ice everywhere? Yeah. Oh yeah. And there's the that, weird that floating cool like jelly tentacle monster things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, I don't want to kill them. They're they're nice. And I was like, I bet you anything. There's like quests. Oh wait, there. the floating tentacle is it green and black and scary? It's mostly the- brown, like with a reddish orange tint to them. Dude, I don't know what that. Also black. It could like be any of those no, colors. I think really. that is. <laughs> I think that is the Morrowind part. There's dragons there. I don't know. This game came out. There's at least one dragon. 2011. Yeah. One dragon. <laughs> what is up with this like super nostalgic episode? Of, yeah. Like, I forgot to say. Yeah. Like, now we're in Morrowind, <laughs> and I'm gonna keep it going with Mass Effect later on. So. <laughs> nice. Fuck. All right. Maybe we should move on. <laughs> I could talk about Grandia One. No, we're good. Okay, no, we're good. <laughs> no, we're good. Oh, flame burn him. Oh, flame burn him. Yeah, so I really like, and this, these these will probably make you sick, Nack. Uh, I really like the flying VR games. Oh yeah. So I'll I'll just go back into Ace Combat Seven in VR. That shit is amazing. Um, and also there's one that's kind of more like Pilot Wings. You you play like you fly propeller planes, and that's called Ultra Wings. And that I think that's kind of like an indie game. It's not really like it, the graphics are very like Pilot Wings sixty four, very very blocky, but. It fills a void. I really like the flying games. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I think so. I mean, those might make me motion sick because I also get motion sickness on planes. Um, but the thing—it's—it's it's not so much what is going on in the game, like the the setting of the game, or like the fact that you're flying or whatever that really gets me sick. It's that if there's a delay between my movements and the visual updating, even if it's like so very slight i instantly get sick and so that's what i yeah, that's what i disconnect mm-hmm. that's you just got to work through the sickness dude you just gotta yeah get down with the you sickness. just gotta wow who fucking invited <laughs> you 
Oh, Star Wars Squadrons also. That game looks amazing in VR. Oh, Star Wars Squadron. Have you guys start tried? No. Fuck this episode. <laughs> I played that game, but not VR. I got motion sickness playing a like just a racing game, and it wasn't even wasn't even. It's just like drive at your own pace through Paris or something. And over at Omar's house, and I had motion sickness. So I, I'm teasing you, but honestly, yeah, I get it. Uh, I've only played. VR in a very limited fashion, like that time you came, you visited um, the town we all live in, Eric, and, and we all um, we all played uh, v- PSVR. Um, I I don't I didn't get like major motion sickness, but I'm still kind of a VR skeptic in the sense that I think it's more of an experience, and I don't think it's yet proven to be a long term video game thing. Like I don't I don't think it's like what 2d to 3d is yet uh i'm happy to be proven wrong because i think the technology behind it is is very impressive and i hope it continues to improve but i still think and i think i've said this a couple of episodes again but vr needs a moment it needs like a mario 64 moment and it hasn't reached that point yet yeah agreed okay um anything else eric is that pretty much it off the top of my head yeah uh i got back into nino kuni a little bit but i'm gonna have to start over because my I think my original save file was on the PS3 was the first time I played it. So I'm going to have to go back, but I got, yeah, I made it like, I, th- I think I want to make, say I made it like halfway through the game, but what I, one thought I had about that game was that I thought it would be cool if there was a Pokemon game like that game. Cause that game was all about the little, the little critters, uh-huh. right? The little uh, like personas that you basically collect or the monsters that you befriend throughout the game. I've never played that game before. Am I understanding? You know, Kuni? Yeah. Is that a Miyazaki influence? Is there? Uh, he okay. worked on the first one, right? Studio Ghibli worked on the first one. Studio I'm, I don't Ghibli, think, yeah. It wasn't, I don't think yeah. it's Miyazaki proper. But I'm going to go see the museum next year. I'm very excited. Ooh. Yeah, going to Japan. I'm going to try. Awesome. Dude, are you serious? I'm going in March. Shut up. I'm going Hopefully. in March. <laughs> Did you get I'm your tickets yet? i to see Nintendo. No. They're but I have the, the money pain. saved up. Are you staying at yeah. the Radisson? Yeah, I'm. I'm staying at the Radisson. Oh, we're both staying. <laughs> no, I'm just we're kidding. gonna try to go march and see Nintendo Land. Nice. The Super Nintendo Land at Universal Studios. Yeah. 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 Nice. Me too. Whatever. Oh, we should just like go. let's go. Let's bunk go. Up. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> no, he's he's match? just going to the Nintendo Land, the eight bit one, not the sixteen bit one. Oh yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> Bummer. You can't afford that sixteen. You can't afford that mode seven, dude. Cool. All right. So that's pretty much it, Eric. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see. Yes. Cool. All right. Uh, Gus, what are we, what are we going to talk? I guess take us through uh, Mass Effect. You've been doing some Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Yeah. So I purchased this about a week ago. I've only played Mass Effect 1, uh, but based on everything that I know or that I've researched, that this is the game that got um, the biggest makeover with this uh, remaster. Uh, the aiming is very much improved. Just the shooting in general feels quite a bit snappier than the original Mass Effect. It looks like they brought in quite a bit of influence from Mass Effect 2 and 3 in, into the first one. So it feels more of a... I, I, from my memory, Mass Effect, the original one, felt like an RPG first and a shooter second. Um, the shooting was very slow. Yeah. It was very methodical. Here, it's it's quite a bit snappier. It feels more like a proper shooter, but, but still keeping those RPG elements. Um, beyond that, I mean, 
it first and foremost, it's still Mass Effect. So if, if you're trying to like expect a different game, it's it's not a remake. It's just a remaster. Um, there's higher resolution. The frame rate is much improved. Uh, loading times, which I'm sure is something like the PC players have already have already been enjoying, is uh, very much improved here compared to the old 360 version. Everything is snappy. Everything loads up quickly, which is uh, fantastic. Um, but yeah, I mean, I. The way these remasters work in my head sometimes is that I play them and I look at them and I'm like, this is how I remember them. <laughs> this is how like I've always kind of assumed they look like. I think that happened with like the Wind Waker HD. Like I, I brought it up and I was like, this is how I remember yeah. Wind Waker all like this whole time. And I'm sure if I go back and I play the actual original version, I'm like, oh my god, this looks terrible. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I've been having a good time. I've still only reached the uh, the second. Um, well, I left the Citadel in in Mass Effect, and I went to the second planet, Novarian. I think is what it's called. Um, I, it's hard to say, you know, because it's. I don't know if I'm gonna stick with it, knowing that Mass Effect Three waits at the end of this whole thing and the kind of the disappointment that surrounds that game. I actually never finished Mass Effect Three, so I think i might go through the journey um again i'm just kind of scared of really dedicated my dedicating my whole time into this trilogy but i mean going back to it i have to say the, the world building is kind of second to none in, in the video game world i think bioware this version of bioware during this time was just killing it like i it makes you want to learn more about the universe more learn more about the asari uh learn learn more about the citadel just learn more about the world it just feels like from what i heard about this franchise is that there's a lot of world building that builds up to a very rushed conclusion. And so that's what makes me a little bit hesitant to, to continue to play it. But from a technical standpoint, uh, it's been it's it's been a pleasant, you know, a pleasant experience so far. That's cool. Um, are you you're playing on what platform? Did you mention that already? Yeah, the Series X, Xbox okay. Series X. Um, yeah, cool. and everything runs great. It loads great. I don't know why, but it seems like EA games as of yet do not support the um, the quick resume thing, which is kind uh. of a bummer. So you want to make sure you keep saving before Weird. you quit that game. Huh. It, it has no plans to come to the Switch, right? Not that I know of. Yeah. I'll never play it then. If it does, it'll probably look like the original version. <laughs> yeah. No offense to the Switch. It just needs an upgrade, please. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I I'm, think, Eric, you asked how it looks. Yeah, I've, I've actually I've never played. I mean, I guess I have nothing to base it on because I've never played the the series. I play, played like the first one for like ten minutes, um, but uh, yeah, I was just curious how it looked on the PS Five. I mean, you have to keep in mind again, as I mentioned, this is a remaster, so it's not going to blow you away. It looks even like the character design to me looks, especially the humans, looks like the, it's like oh yeah, this is a two thousand seven game. It's like this is a two thousand seven ass looking video game character. Like I, I'm playing as female Shepherd, and she kind of has like the the Joanna Dark kind of like like oh, from Perfect dude. Dark Zero yeah. aesthetics to her. Like it's it's kind of like weird looking, and that that gets improved throughout the series. Um, but it when you pop up, you know, original Mass Effect, even with this remaster, be prepared to not be blown away by the graphics or the environments honestly I, I even felt this about the original one like for being this like you you're traversing the entire universe type of story like the environments are pretty bland um they're it's a bunch of corridors it's a bunch of like some outdoor areas that just all look the same um 
again, to me, it's more like the character interaction and the world building. Um, and, uh, you know, in this case, they've improved the gameplay in terms of the shooting quite a bit. Yeah, I've only ever played the first one as well. Um, and you could smell the KOTOR on it, mm-hmm. especially with like the way that the environments are designed and, and the like you said, the corridors and all that. Um, anything else on Mass Effect? Legendary Edition? No, I mean, I I would say that if you played the first one for just a little bit or you've never played the series, I would recommend going back. I still think at least the first two, it's a, it's a hell of an experience. If you're into that, you know, you have to be prepared for a lot of talking, uh, a lot of dialogue, a lot of uh, um, reading through Codex and whatnot. Uh, but it's an excellent world. It's, it's still a fun video game, in my opinion. And Mass Effect 2... Hell of a video game, to be honest. But yeah, I recommend it if you have if you've never tried it. If you have and you're good with the experience, this probably isn't enough to to call you back. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I guess it's that time. Let's talk about Resident Evil Village. Um, I am. Uh, my wife and I have been playing, and we just finished kind of the second main boss, and uh are back in the hub world, which is the village. Um, Gus, how far have you gotten? I'm still not that far. I'm about three to four hours in. Um, I'm still in the, in the first area. Um, I don't know how, how much I can give away, but it looks like I'm, I'm about to go one-on-one with the main boss in, in that area. Um, so I'm still a couple of hours in. It's still, maybe this, this will give you a hint. Everything still feels very linear. It doesn't feel like it's it's opened up. It feels like there's there's a, maybe that's where you are, Nick, but there's going to be a period where it opens up more, but I'm not there yet. Okay. Yeah. So, um, okay. So Which character in the series are you playing as? I haven't played it. Ethan Winters, the character from Resident Evil 7. I see. Um, so we I think it's probably safe to give a little bit of a info on the kind of the setup for this game. It takes place... Uh, how many years? I think it's like, did it say in the beginning, however many years after the events of RE7? I think it's three years after RE7. Is it three? That's what I wanted to say too. You play as Ethan Winters, who went through the whole ordeal in Louisiana after your wife disappears, uh, and you end up in that house. And I've never actually played RE7, so I'm not too familiar with what happens in that game, but it does give you the option to recap so that you kind of know what you're doing going into RE8. Oh, neat. Yeah. Nice. Um, I played through half of it. So, okay, I've got... There, there are things that I really like about this game, and I do have some issues with it. Um, and my, my main issue with it is that I don't think for what this game is going for, which is I think it, it is trying very hard to... Um, Take what they did with RE7, which was put re- the Resident Evil franchise into a first-person experience. I think they're trying to mash that up with what they did in Resident Evil 4, which was to uh, make take the series in a much more action-heavy direction. And in I, I think that a lot... there. There's so much Resident Evil 4 in this game, from the way you can upgrade and purchase new weapons to the just even just the way that the combat works feels like it, it like it 
very much wanted to do the the Resident Evil 4. I mean, obviously, it's not over the shoulder. It's it's not third person. It is first person view. But I don't think the gun play is that good. I don't get the same satisfaction out of defeating the monsters that I did in RE4. And I can't quite put my finger yet on why that is. Um, it just doesn't feel as as reactive to your actions as RE4 did. Um, what I will say about the game is that there are moments that are very intense. It There are some genuinely scary moments and, and a lot of tension. Um, so, which is cool. I mean, that's what you want out of a Resident Evil game, and I think the series has has at times been great at that and at times just been fucking dog shit at that. Um, so I'm glad that they nailed that here. Um, but those are my thoughts. That's basically, I don't want to, I don't want to get really into spoiler territory. So I'll give my thoughts on that. Gus, what are your thoughts? So my thoughts are, are fairly in line with what you're saying. And I've been thinking as to why I, right now I'm fairly look lukewarm when it comes to this game. Um, and I think it is that, right? Like, I think it's, it's, this is a direct sequel to, to Resident Evil 7, but it's adding um, Resident Evil 4 influences from, you know, the environment, the gunplay, it, it having more action elements to the um, the suitcase, even. Right. Like it has kind of that, except like that suitcase is huge. I haven't even needed to like bother with any kind of inventory management. Yeah. So there's not even that kind of Tetris effect it, to it. You, you will. It, it does get uh, to a point where you. Yeah. Pun intended. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm expecting it. But it's right now in these, these early goings, I haven't really experienced any issues with, with the suitcase. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way I see it is that this game has those two influences, right? Like Resident Evil 7 and Resident Evil 4. But if you go back to both of those iterations of the franchise, I think both of those had either, I mean, depending on how you see it, it either had the benefit or the burden of being like a refresh, like a a reboot of the franchise. It's kind of like Resident Evil 4 came in a moment where I think the Resident Evil 1, 2, and 3 had, that kind of gameplay had run its course and people were expecting change. So it came around and it it really just brought like, this is a new Resident Evil experience. It's not like like the previous games. And it just blew away a, a lot of people. It blew me away. And then I think then Resident Evil 5 and 6 went too much into like the kind of action-y, really silly story plot direction where Resident Evil 7 needed to be like, okay, we got to restart this again. We're going to bring in this this new kind of experience. First person, it's more isolated. It does reference the earlier Resident Evil games a little bit more um, in terms of like the house and whatnot, but it still felt like like a, a, a new beginning for the franchise. This game doesn't have that, right? Like, this game is taking Resident Evil 7 and then it's adding Resident Evil 4 influences. So it's it's like there, there are expectations on this game that are different than those two previous iterations because it's trying to, like, appeal to Resident Evil 7 uh, players and then appeal to those that are also nostalgic about Resident Evil 4 and it's trying to combine them together. And at least right now where I am, I don't think it's found the right balance yeah. um, on it because I go I go from it from, like, a Res- I love Resident Evil 4. It is Honestly, if I had to do like a top 10 of my favorite games, I think I'm pretty certain it would be on it. Yeah. Um, and so when I, when I started hearing like, oh, this, this is like really influenced by Resident Evil 4, I was super excited. But Resident Evil 4, I would argue that the best parts of Resident Evil 4 came at the very beginning. 
you were just like thrown into that village and and it was pretty open and then there was just like it it there was even some kind of elements of like dynamic gameplay there like and it was just like right from the get-go you were just thrown into this world and and it, it was it was very explosive this one i think really takes more of a methodical approach i think it's it starts you and and that might be more like resident evil 7 um but it it kind of that messed with my expectations so to speak there's a lot of puzzles at the very beginning which i find to be very like you can't get the you know it's a resident evil 7 thing or a resident evil thing where it's like the store is locked you have to find some sort of object to unlock it. So you have to go to a different location and you find it and you go into this door and it'll open a new area. And it relies on that quite a bit, a little bit more than, than I would like. <laughs> yeah. Um, Agreed. Yeah. And I, I, some of the puzzles I've, I've enjoyed, but for the most part, they, they tend to be more around that type of, of gameplay loop. So I'm certain that if I give this game maybe two, three more hours, it's going to open up and I'm going to see more Resident Evil 4 elements. But I think may maybe they did themselves a disservice by by saying that, you know, this is Resident Evil 7 meets Resident Evil 4 because that messed up with that messed up my initial expectations. Yeah. Um, and it does. I mean, uh, it, it does open up um, to a degree but I don't think in a, it, I don't think it does that in a way that will. Uh, I mean, I don't think that's what will will uh, kind of cater to your nostalgia for Resident Evil Four, right? Because I think what made Resident Evil Four so great was the gunplay. Like it, it was the interactions that you were having with monsters, and not just I mean, not just the shooting, but the whole like stagger and kick mechanic was huge. Was a huge part of what made. Resident Evil 4 so uh so snappy and so just visceral just a, a fun juicy way to defeat the the they weren't zombies but whatever the monsters Las Plagas Las Plagas yeah I haven't felt that for this one um so yeah I'm I'm with you I'm I still think it's worth a playthrough uh, based on the, the there there's a there are a couple scenes that will stay with me just based on the the tension there's a there's a whole i, I don't want to give too much away i don't know how much i want to say here i'll say that there's a part that takes a lot of inspiration from pt which is really cool um and that part is very scary and very tense cuz you know resident resident evil 4 not really a scary game in the way that the pre previous resident evils were up to that point um, you know, it was more of an action game. Um, and so I'm glad that they do manage to sneak some genuine scares in. Yeah, this game has been scaring me far more than Resident Evil 4 in terms of the the tension. And, you know, I, I think it's it's well known that there's like a, the constant use of like a persistent threat uh, that's always kind of following you around, which has really messed up with with my anxiety. I also have enjoyed some of the silliness of it. I, I think I the whole like Ethan Winters and his hand mm -hmm. thing has kind of been over <laughs> probably uh, overdone in terms of jokes now, but they really go hard in it. There was just a moment with the whole hand thing where I was just like, are you fucking with me? Like, yeah. is this <laughs> like? And once you once you get to that point, you're gonna know because it's just so fucking silly. But yeah, I was just kind of like, whatever you do, you do you. It's 
yeah you 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 will laugh yeah you have no choice but to just laugh and be like all right yeah mm-hmm anything else on resident evil village no I probably said yeah i think so i mean as of now that again i'm still early on I, I this isn't really a final judgment on the game i'm still willing to to play a couple more hours if it doesn't grab me in the next two to three hours i might be done with it but i'm hoping it opens up a little bit more yeah all right i've been playing some games i uh, i've been playing a hell of a lot of returnal it is a ps5 game a lot has been said about this game it's really been kind of blowing up in the world of video game news for a few reasons um but uh, there are some issues with this game that i'll get into here in a little bit um kind of surrounding the game or, or i guess also just involving the game but i'll talk about the gameplay and and the game itself here um so returnal is a roguelike it is a third person action shooter um you are exploring an alien planet and you realize that you this it's not your first time there. Basically, the, the core of the game is as you travel through this alien planet, you will come... And this isn't a spoiler. You find this out in like the first five minutes of gameplay. You discover your own corpse. And you realize that you have been re-experiencing this crash landing onto this planet over and over and over for a long time. And that's so dope. Every time, yeah. And every time you die, you go through the crash again. You kind of like wake up. There's, there's some, as yet, as far as I am, there's some kind of unexplained just flashes of scenes of like tentacles and bright lights. And so you know there's something fishy going on with some alien being. Um, and then you you basically respawn at the crash site where your spaceship has crashed and you start again this game feels a lot like alien or um what's the other alien movie prometheus thank you prometheus yeah the vibe of this is very alien or prometheus um and also from a more uh mechanical perspective metroid there's a lot of i was gonna mention metroid like the alien world that you're on that you feel like you don't belong to so there's that, but also just mechanically, the way the map is laid out, the way that you're interacting with the map, the way that you're gaining upgrades that allow you to uh, take shortcuts through the world is very, very Metroid Prime. Um, and I think you'll feel that right when you open the map. Even the sound that the, that the map makes as you scroll it around reminds me of... Interesting. Yeah, so... Is there a HUD that also, like, uh, gives the same feel? Uh, I can't actually remember if you you don't like see your your character's face in the reflection of the you can see your breath in in returnal can you yeah you can see her breath on, on the, on the inside, inside of the, the of the helmet yeah yeah okay that, that was one of the first things that tripped me out because of the graphics of that i was like oh, yeah so cool. so <laughs> that's one of the things i want to talk about the, the graphics truly are like so i'm not a big fan of like particle heavy graphics which is unfortunate because i think that's uh, that's going to be kind of a big thing a big deal in a lot of these new titles that are going to be coming out um because the ps5 and I'm, I'm assuming the series x can can handle so much of that but i will say this game makes it look really really good the fog effects in this game are incredible there's i've seen some weird stuff with the textures but the animations are great so the, the combat in the game 
is so this is a housemark game and i've never actually played any of their other titles but they're they're known for their glowy bullets <laughs> they're what other titles have they made a game called resogun which is like a defender like um like classic arcade defender and uh, they, they made another game i can't remember the title um all of their games have kind of had a similar look in that they have flashing or glowy bullets that you have to dodge it's it's kind of crazy that they managed to include that in a third person shooter like there are there are times where this feels a little bit bullet hell especially on the boss battles interesting the bullets are slow enough yeah the bullets are slow enough or you have enough there's enough wind up that you know that you're gonna have to dash through them your dash has iframes so you're either dashing through bullets or dodging them interesting yeah so it's the the combat is just fantastic the structure go ahead you said it's third person right so the camera's behind you the camera's behind you yeah is it kind of like near in that sense then i get near vibes yeah i get near vibes um but with with more it's it's not there is a melee attack but it's really not but it's mostly shooter it's shooting yeah it's not like a character action game um the so the structure of the game is interesting you are basically once you finish a boss you get the key or item that allows you to shortcut quickly to the next biome so before you've completed the first boss you're basically stuck in the first biome um, and you progress through each run and if you manage to make it to the boss and defeat that boss you then go to the second biome. And the biomes are very, very different. They're very, very cool. Um, and so, like, once once you defeat the first boss, you don't really... You, you can choose to continue exploring that first area on future runs if you want, um, but you don't have to. You can... You, you get an item um, or you unlock a, a way, a traversal path to just instantly go to the second biome and at the beginning of each biome is an upgrade that will give you a little bit more uh that will bring your i guess power level for lack of a better word um up to the base level that should be required for that biome and so you don't have to always go through the first level every time you play which i think is such a good way i was thinking how that's different from like other typical roguelikes but then i remembered like diablo 2 which is like there's waypoints and that's the whole thing is that you're progressing far enough that it yeah yeah i mean and it's it's different i mean yeah as, as, to my knowledge as at least in the bigger roguelikes the ones that i've played this is the first time that anything like this has been done usually roguelikes demand that you make it through every single area yeah they make and it they easier give you, to go through right. those first areas so that you breeze through it, but you still got to do it. Right. Yeah. So, and this is, it's a, it's especially important in a game like this or, or in Returnal specifically because the runs are very long. They're, we're talking like hour minimum on a run. So you really got to settle in for it. You got to prepare for it. But like I said, if you, once you defeat a boss, you're ready to just move on to the next biome. So I'm on the third biome right now, and I have not seen the boss of that biome yet. I've gotten I've gotten pretty close, I think, to the boss. And it is procedural, so it's roguelike procedural, so the 
you know, the, the map rearranges itself uh, every time. And they work that into the story of the game as well. The, the planet so cool. is shifting as you go through this process of dying and, and returning. Oh, Returnal. Um, Infinite Undiscoveries. <laughs> the inside jokes are coming out, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I do want to say one other thing, and then I'll take your questions because I know you've got some. <laughs> um, the... I do want to say, at one of the things that really made me want to get a PS5, and I know this is so stupid, but I don't give a fuck, was the controller. I saw people's reactions to the DualSense, and I was like, I need to experience that for myself. It looks so fucking cool that the triggers, how the triggers are adaptive and will apply individual levels of resistance based on the context of what's going on in the game. The first game that I played that did that well was the pack-in, the, the pre-installed um, Astrobot game. Um, but it does feel more like a proof of concept than an actual use case. And dude, in Returnal, it is so fucking good. Yeah, they nail it. Dude, it is so fucking good. So oh, the, the main thing that, the main way that it's used is that the when you aim with the left trigger if you pull it down halfway you aim down the sights which gives you better accuracy and there's but there's resistance there you can feel it give a little bit of resistance as you aim as you pull it down halfway to aim if you pull it if you pull it past that that point of resistance all the way down it then goes into your your uh secondary weapon which is on a cooldown. So if you pull that trigger all the way down, it's the secondary fire. That's so cool. Dude, it is... I wish you guys were just... I wish I could just show you this right now because it's so unbelievably... It's... It, and when I, when I said this, when, I, when the game explained this to me, I was like, oh shit, I'm, I'm, I know that what's going to happen is I'm going to accidentally pull it all the way and use my secondary fire. But you don't? It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Because it, it's it, weighted. Yeah. They, I mean, I don't know the, what it is engineering-wise that's in there that provides that level of resistance, but it's so good. It's so good. And then in, in contexts where you're not worried about that, it takes that level of resistance off, so it just comes all the way down. And it's, it's so intuitive. It's so, ah, dude. And the, and the, Where can you go buy a PS5 next since you're the only one who's been able to acquire one? Uh, I just I just lucked out on BestBuy.com. Follow Wario64, dude. Wario64 on Twitter. Or or Cheapass Gamer. Usually Wario64. Here I go. Yeah. Following Wario64. Um, so yeah, the, also the haptic feedback has been uh, very, very good. There's the first area that you're in, it's raining and you can feel the rain pitter-patter on your controller. It's so good, man. It's such a good use of the DualSense controller. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm really loving Returnal. It is, for a roguelike, it is a big ask in terms of the time that it takes to get through a run. Um, and now I think I should talk about the main complaint that people have had with the game, which I'm fortunate enough to have not experienced so far but there are apparent apparently people are experiencing really gnarly crashes which is awful 
on a game like this because this game does not have a save feature. So, oh, this is the game you were talking about. Yeah. So this, yeah. you you can suspend the gameplay right the, through the PS5 system firmware game suspend, um, but if the game crashes, it does not save your your progress to the disc or to the to the hard drive. So, um, yeah, you, you're fucked if that happens. So, um, for for some people, I could totally understand how that would be a deal breaker. I would say if that's something that would destroy your enjoyment of a game, probably wait until a fix comes out. Housemark have not um, fixed that aspect of the game. They've pushed a few patches since launch to address some other stuff, and I think they have they have either said or hinted at the fact that they will be implementing a save feature later on, but it's not in there. As of right now, it's not in there. So, um, Did they just totally not anticipate that that would be an issue with their game pre-release i don't know i imagine they yeah i imagine they just it was just an oversight and they didn't they they probably in testing didn't have enough of a pool of qa to find those crashes so it the the no save was probably just not an issue for them um so it runs being an hour-long minimum that's that sucks, man. Yeah. Like I would already anticipate just by that without crashing that that not having a save feature would be I mean, Hades is flawless, not just because of their like what they did for the game, the the whole team behind it, but also because it's on the Switch and it's just seamless. Yeah. Like yeah. that that adds so much just to the experience in. that I think people don't acknowledge. Yeah, and Hades Hades saves at the beginning of each room, I think, right? Each room. So yeah, so you you basically never lose progress in Hades. Right. That that is a huge component that people overlook, I think. So to have no save built in without any kind of gaming flaws or or glitches like or crashes. whatever is already yeah. to me a huge oversight. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's what I was going to ask because even even if you separate the the game actually crashing, um just that aspect of it not having saves has that been an issue for you because I feel like really probably throughout my 30s I I put more appreciation into games that value my time mm-hmm. um and understand that I I'm probably not going to sit there for an I know this is kind of hypocritical because right now we're going to record like a 3 hour podcast <laughs> and we're sitting here throughout the whole thing talking about video games but I appreciate video games that no, I'm not going to, you know, I don't really have the time to sit there an hour, two hours long in, in one sitting that I'm probably going to step away or play it the next day. It seems like as of right now, this game doesn't do that. So has that been an issue for you or have you just been comfortable, you know, knowing that, hey, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to play this game for an hour or more? I think it depends on your situation. For me personally, it has not really been that much of a factor for a few reasons. Um, I know, so I've, I'm the only one that uses my PS5, so if I have to leave the game, I can just power the PS5 off, and I know that I will be able to resume the suspended game state. You know what I mean? Oh, so that works on the PS5, just the way the Switch does. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. The, the same way PS4 oh, okay. and yeah. But you do PS4 run the risk, right? Like if like an update gets installed but, or something like that, it's it. it... Yeah. What? Well, yeah, and you can you can choose not to accept the patch. Like I don't think it'll patch if you if you're running the game I don't think it will patch. I don't know that for sure so maybe don't if you're listening to this don't bank on that. Um but what I was going to say is I'm the only one that uses my PS5 and 
the only other game that I've been playing on it is Resident Evil 8, which I've been playing with my wife, and we schedule time for that. So I know so when cute. I'm going to have to. I know. We're adorable. Um, I know when I'm going to have to, like, stop playing Returnal. And so, like, I, I know if, if we're going to be playing Resident Evil later, I won't start another run of Returnal without knowing that I'll see it through to the end. You know what I mean? Um, but I know that th- there are probably people out there, definitely people out there who either share a PS5 and or, or they're playing a bunch of different stuff and they're, you know. So to not have a save feature is a big deal, I think, on a game that has the scope and just the, the like you said, Gus, the that asks as much time as it does of its player, at least in, in one It's 2021 run. now. And I'm getting flashbacks to Aaron Hinkle holding the fucking power button down on my PlayStation because he wants me to go outside and play basketball. <laughs> as he's like, better save, better save. Like, that, yeah. is that how the experience is? I don't want that. I'm out. Yeah, it sucks, but I don't know. But I will say, like, for me personally, like I've already said, Returnal is a game that's good enough that I'm willing to, I'm even willing to take the the chance of, yeah, maybe, maybe it crashes out on a good run and that's that and I miss out on that. Like I said, the shooting art of the roguelike experience. Yeah, it's just <laughs> that's that hardcore. But the shooting is so good, and the gameplay is so good. The story—I haven't even talked about the story. The story is pretty good, and there are some pretty spooky kind of, like, like I talked about with Resident Evil Eight. Um, there are some moments that draw a lot of inspiration from PT. You're kind of walking around a creepy house um, with spooky stuff going on. Um, it's cool. It's really, really cool. It's a good game. I hope that they fix the the major issues with it here soon. Um, okay, I've got a bunch of stuff to talk about, so I'll, I'll kind of cruise through some of this other stuff. I've still been playing Kaze and the Wild Masks. It's a really good game to play when I'm too... Kind of like, Justin, how you mentioned your your decompression game is, uh, is slippy, mealy. Right. Um, I've been using Kaze and the Wild Masks as something to just kind of jump into while I'm in bed because you can just kind of play one level at a time, figure out what's going on in the level, get through it, and then I set it aside and and get on with my afternoon after work. Um, Another game, oh boy, so here we go. All right, y'all, I need to talk with y'all, my dear friends. Uh, I treasure your friendship. I love you all so much. And I'm coming to you with a confession. I have an addiction. I reloaded Dota. Did you too? Yes. It's ans- ancillary. It's an ancillary Dota, but it's, it is Dota. I've been playing a fuckload of Dota Underlords. And I've actually been playing it throughout the lifetime of this podcast. And I've never brought it up. Because Dota Underlords is a game that I play when I'm not doing anything else. It's a game that I can pull up on my phone and have going in the background of my life. And it's a game that I've become able to play so uh, so tangential to everything else that's going on that I never really even considered bringing it up on this podcast. But it's gotten to a point where, where we need to have a talk about it <laughs> because it has it has it has submerged or not submerged it has emerged into more of so 
I learned that there's a ranked mode. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know why. I always knew that there was, but I never really, I just, like, never thought about going into ranked on this game. And I've made it up to the third from the highest ranking uh, in the game, So which I, which I feel like is pretty high. Um, this is the game that's like chess, right? So this is an auto battler, yeah, auto chess like, um, and it's it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's very good. Um, it's I mean but it's it's, Dota, it's so you good play. at yeah it's good at what it sets out to do, which is eat your time, just consume your time. For those who don't know, it's it's a game where you are um, pulling the lever on a slot machine and buying up units that appear randomly and if you're lucky you get good combos of units and there's there's a, i mean it's not like this game is without strategy there's a shitload of strategy underneath especially not so much in the beginning of a game of a match but towards the end when it's just you and maybe one or two other um opponents every round oh there's multiple you, opponents yeah so you're playing against eight other players per match or sorry it's eight total seven other players and you free for all okay so one v one v one v one v one v one v one right each round you are matched up with one everybody is matched up with another opponent and you your pieces fight their pieces um and then the outcome of that round is resolved you lose health based on how many whether you win or lose the round basically and then the process repeats you buy more units you adjust your board and then the process repeats. Interesting. And in the later stages of a match, you've kind of already built out your army to one strategy. So there's less strategy in the units that, the, that you're purchasing, and there's more strategic choice in how you place them on the board. And there have been matches that I won where I did not get a single upgrade to my units between rounds, and I lost one round, didn't get any upgrades, but I win the next round based on changes that I make to the placement of my units on the board. And those moments, dude, may are it's fucking crack to my brain. It's why? What why did you did you successfully place units and that gives you that dopamine? Yeah, dude, like, I don't get Yeah. It's there's a lot of that dopamine in the game. There's also the dopamine of upgrading a unit, pulling that lever, like I said, ref, re-rolling your units that you have available to purchase and getting that one that you needed to upgrade to a level three part of the cards and suddenly you have yeah so <laughs> suddenly you have access to this new ability it changes your whole dynamic of what your board can do it's just there's so there's so much like borderline predatory and the only reason i won't say that it's full-on predatory is that the for for it being a valve game the microtransactions are actually pretty subdued um but dude uh, i mean it's yeah the, you get a hit of dopamine this game sounds dangerous this game yeah. like yeah, we need dude, to introduce I'm legislation to to ban this game yeah so i've been playing that that's dota underlords until further notice just understand that it is a constant in my life and i am playing it right now no just kidding actually uh, but I have been playing it while recording podcasts in the past, and you guys didn't even know. <laughs> so then we should, a round of applause for Knack to be able to turn it off for this podcast. This yeah, thank you so wonderful. much. Yeah. Thank you. 
Thank you. For um, that. You know, people always say that the first step, the first step to resolving a problem is, is admitting, accepting that there is yeah. one. So I'm proud. Yeah, thank you. you. No, so I'm on the other yeah. side of this. I'm going to support this addiction. I have it too. I love that <laughs> fucking game. <laughs> Let's do it. I want oh to battle you. I love fucking this game. Monster. I understand entirely. What you mean when you're about the placement and then they come in and I'll just fucking eat everybody up. Ugh. Yeah, I don't really have anything yeah. like that in my life anymore. I've tried to get back into World of Warcraft like a bunch of times because I have friends that want me to play and I still can't do it. I... WoW is a different drug, right? WoW is the watch the numbers go up drug. How is Dota Underlords any different? Because you win? It's the it's a random it's a oh, I got the thing I need, right? Huh. On a random chance. Okay. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. Wow is about you're just building to this win that you never ever get to. Mm -hmm. You never win the game. Wow is cookie clicker with fancy graphics, right? Yeah. There's it's watching the numbers go up. Um the other game that I've been playing that I want to talk about here uh is not a video game. Am I allowed to talk about a board game here? Mm, Let's make the call. I think you make the rules, so your podcast. Yeah. Hey, this is my fucking podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um I've been playing a game called Dice Throne. Dice Throne is a competitive um, hero-based board game. You can purchase this game in two ways. You can purchase full seasons, which I purchased the season one. Uh, they call it re-rolled. It's kind of a remaster of the first season, which is all eight characters that came out in season one. Um, it was expensive. It was more than $100. <laughs> uh, but you get all eight characters, um, dice Throne uses the mechanics of Yahtzee, where you are rolling five dice and then holding dice that you want and then re-rolling the rest to try to get certain combinations. Each character has their own set of unique custom dice and with, with completely different powers. It's like if they made Overwatch or some other hero-based game into a table game into a, a board game it's best so i've played a few games um i still haven't played all the different heroes that are available i've played a few games 1v1 and then last night i've got a game night group that did a 2v2 game it is it is so 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 well designed and and for a game like this the level of balance that is present would put some video games to shame. Every single match that I've played has come within hit points of, of being close at the end of the game. Um, it is so, so good. It is so fun. Again, it has that aspect of rolling what just what you needed to activate that ability that you needed to um, either heal or attack your opponent or there are status effects a, a huge part of the game is inflicting status effects on your opponents um so like there's a character that can do entangle which means that the the opponent on their next turn has one less reroll to get what they want um there are cards that you play that affect you can a big part of the game is playing cards that affect that change the dice rolls so you can if you need a six and you roll, like, if there, there are ultimate abilities, right? So your ultimate is always five sixes, if you roll five sixes. So if you roll four sixes, and you need that last six, you can play it, you know, you can play a card that will uh, essentially turn that last dice into a six. It is super, super fun. 
it's i'm addicted i just i can't wait what's this game called it's called dice throne it's a pun get it like throne, i did like, not get it i didn't get it dice but now i get it throne? but it's spelled yeah. like t-h-r-o-n-e correct those jerks yeah um it's so good i already know that i'm gonna buy the season two box and in seasons one and two the base game it is only competitive but they're they also released and it's sold out right now but they released a game called dice throne adventures which is a cooperative expansion that turns it into basically a dungeon crawler which i cannot fucking wait this is all tabletop it's all tabletop i can't wait to get i want to play it is dude uh, i i well, you got to come over soon and play it. It is so fucking fun. Yes, sir. It is it is fantastic. I highly recommend it. Like I said, it is expensive. You can purchase the boxes of the full set, uh, the full season of characters, eight characters per season. They also come in individual, or, or I guess, um, bundles of two. So you can get two characters, which is enough to play a full match, or you can just go ham and get the whole, the whole season. I will invest in this. I don't know if you mentioned this, but how, what's the exact price? Sorry. Let's, so do you recall? I bought it direct from the company that makes the game, and it was $89 plus tax and shipping, Nine, 90 bucks per box, okay. per season, basically. And then the, the adventure module is out of print, or it's not out of print. It's on back order, um, and I think that's like 70 bucks, something like that. Okay. So bit of a bit of a cost, bit of a bit of a investment i'll say um but i know i'm going to be playing this a lot so and there's a novelty well, I mean, video to... games are 70 bucks now too so right yeah and there's a novelty what, what video to... games are 70 returnal right returnal yeah. was 70 this this we we broached the 69.99 again yeah yeah we breached it hasn't it, been but, since 64 yeah. era uh yeah we breached yeah not, not broached Dude, yeah we the this generation i think i think the there was there was a sports game I think that was also seventy bucks, right? But, I don't believe that. There's no way. Yeah, I think the NBA like 2K the two K yeah was seventy. Yeah. How insulting! So that's Dice Throne. Um, I do want to quickly mention Knockout City. Please don't install that on your Switch. It crashed the fuck out of my Switch. The demo. What game is that? What's what it's kind like of a, game is that? I, it's a it was a free demo and I, it looked kind of interesting, so I put it on there. It's a it's like a dodgeball game. It's dodgeball where you throw the ball at your opponents. It's multiplayer, online, um, and you have to time your catches to try to catch the ball. Um, it's very arcadey. There's a bunch of modifiers to the ball and stuff. Um, it seemed like a cool game, but it crashed my Switch. It, like, BSOD'd my Switch. So please don't install that demo. But it restarted fine? No it issue? It restarted fine, but it scared the shit out of me. So, I don't know. Yeah. It's, I had never seen that error code. I've seen games crash on Switch, but not send me to that, like... Yeah, it just sends you to the hub uh, where mm-hmm. it's like, hey, your game yeah, crashed. Hades, like, Hades oh, okay, did that to me fine. a couple times, actually, while we're on the topic yeah, of me too. roguelikes crashing. Um, but anyway, okay, so that's it. Don't, don't install Knockout City demo on your Switch until that shit gets fixed. Let's move on. Uh, do you all want to take a quick break, and then we'll come back into some news? Sure. Sure. Okay, let's take five, and then we'll hit some news. All right, we're back. Let's uh, jump into some news here. Gus, why don't you start us off here with this Sony Discord story? Yeah, sure. So this is basically the the end of our 
Discord trilogy conversation. Uh, we started this a couple of episodes that Microsoft was in talks with uh, to acquire Discord for about $10 billion. Billion um, with a B. A month later, Nuts, man. Billion billion dollars um but a month later we found out that that fell through and discord was going to remain um independent uh but this month we had a new set of news that it looks like playstation is uh partnering uh with discord um so they're gonna work to bring bring in discord and the discord services and integrate them into the playstation experience um with this deal it also means that playstation um sony is is um a minority investor um so they're putting some money in, into discord i'm not sure what kind of control that's going to give them but it looks like discord will still remain largely independent um so quite a turnaround uh, we went from discord maybe being purchased by microsoft to them working with sony and we're going to see discord services being implemented into PlayStation software in the future. Uh, interesting and cool. I don't know how much it really will affect my life, <laughs> but um, well, they changed the logo and everybody's pissed. Yeah, I don't think that had anything to do with this. So I guess I guess people are mad because a font and a logo changed, which is you know the internet. Um, yeah, that's everything. Yeah, I don't know. What do you, do you guys think this has any impact on? discord as a service other than maybe we see sony uh like ads having more exclusivity i think maybe i don't think it's going to change discord proper i just think we're hopefully going to see a better experience in terms of um online communication um yeah with, with playstation i think that's still something that they're a little bit behind in terms of uh, competing with xbox well, what is it called? I don't. I think they're going to uh, stop the Xbox Live. Yeah, it's going to be like Xbox Network or something. Yeah, like that. something but like that. Yeah, th yeah. There's a little behind that, so I think it's it's going to improve that experience. Hopefully, I think that's that's the goal. But as far as Discord, you know, the Discord we know and love, and and the um, PC application or even mobile application, I don't think we're going to see too many changes. Yeah, there. yeah, I'm with you. I think Sony probably. This is like pure speculation. I'm curious what your thoughts are, Nack and Gus. Uh, but yeah, Sony has had this huge hole in its online connectivity, specifically from communication standpoints. I feel like Discord probably has a wealth of proprietary information that now Sony is visible to. And whether it's actual Discord branded communications or they're just taking that information to improve their online communications, I think that's probably what the goal was. But but I, I was also curious, I am curious, because from my perspective, if you're in talks with a huge company for some ridiculous amount of money to be bought out and then all of a sudden that falls through or not falls through but you know that that's no longer on the table and then that direct competitor ends up being a minority investor i can't i can't help but wonder if that was the intention from the beginning like hey i'm gonna dangle this huge thing up here sony i bet you want this i bet this is what you want in order to get like get the money that you need and still retain your independence. I, I can't, I can't help but wonder if that the value, was the plan all inflate along. Inflate your value exactly. a little bit by yeah. spreading yeah. a rumor. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then you that. create, you create FOMO, right? Like yeah. the other companies right. are then like, kind of like, oh, we need to jump in on this because, uh, you know, our competitor might, might purchase Discord. Let's see what we can do. And it yeah. just. Have you seen just, any evidence of that? No, I mean it's it's hard to actually find that kind of evidence, and I'm I'm just looking at the Verge article here. There's no set amount um, the in terms of what 
Sony invested in. Um, that I'm not sure if that information is public, but all it says that that they it's it's an unspecified amount of money into Discord as part of its Series H investment round as a minority investor. That's all we really know. I read something that it was at least fifty million, which is such a low number compared to ten billion. I don't even know if it's worth mentioning, but um, that's all I could find. At least fifty million. Hmm. That that was like the base level. So wow. Um, as low as fifty million, as high as ten billion. We can yeah, <laughs> that, so, somewhere somewhere in, there. in that ballpark. <laughs> um, I so I will say going back to your kind of you were speculating about whether they whether they wanted more of the brand or whether this was something that they wanted more for the infrastructure. I think it's a hundred percent the brand. I don't think Discord would be on the like like Discord is a great service and it. It functionally, it's it's done a great job of kind of replacing the IRC uh, way of of having servers and channels and all that stuff. But for, on the infrastructure side of things, I mean, so it's not that Sony didn't have um, the technology, right? They've had the technology. They've had party chat since the ps3 at least right they've they've had stuff like that i doubt that this was really an acquisition for the tech and i think it's 100 percent has to do with the fact that people know what discord is as a brand and sony wants to bring that in to have the i mean just to have the discord logo on the home screen of the ps5 i think would be a huge thing for them so that's i think that's the reason for the acquisition or it's not an acquisition for the partnership. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I could be wrong. I don't know. But to, to me, that's what that seems like. Why don't we, uh, well, yeah, okay. go, go ahead. Guys. Let's, well, um, let's move on. This one, probably the story may not um, reverberate to, to our entire audience, or even all, us, all four of us here. Uh, but it is actually a development that really impacted me. I want to say even on a kind of personal level. Um, it feels like it anyways. Um, but earlier this month, um, the website giantbomb.com, it's a website about video games. Uh, it was established back in 2008. Um, there's a whole long story about that website. It was, it was kind of established after um, its uh, founder, Jeff Gerstmann, was Jeff Gertzman was fired from GameSpot uh, for giving a game a low score, uh, a game that was highly advertised in the website, and there was an entire controversy. So he left the company. He started Giant Bomb. Some of his uh, fellow co-workers at GameSpot followed him, and they founded the company, and they, they've amassed a big community there, a very dedicated community. Um, and they have several very influential podcasts. The Giant Bombcast and the Giant Beastcast um, are the two prominent ones. Um, and earlier this month, um, it was announced that three longtime members, uh, Vinnie Caravella, Brad Shoemaker, and Alex Navarro, were leaving. Um, I believe Brad Shoemaker and Vinnie Caravella were there. They left you know, pretty shortly thereafter, Jeff left uh, to, to join him on in Giant Bomb. And then about a year later, uh, Alex joined them as well. So they've been there for about 12, 11 years, more than a decade. Um, and yeah, they they uh, left the the uh, website. They left the company. Um, one of the tragic 
immediately, uh, I don't want to say tragic, that's too strong of a word, but one of the very sad things is that probably my favorite podcast, the Giant Beast cast, is no more. Um, they they put out their last episode, episode 311, those motherfuckers, I can't believe they actually <laughs> ended it with that. Yep. Amber is truly the color of their energy. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so that that was their last episode. They brought all the members of the the Beast cast back, and it was it was a very emotional episode. Um, I wanted to bring it up because just on a personal level, this these both these three individuals, as well as just Giant Bomb in general, have been uh, highly influential to me. Um, I, I I it's no exaggeration to say that they got me into podcasting. Uh, they got me to want to do a podcast. Uh, Vinny Caravella want like got me into wanting to to the idea of hosting a podcast. Obviously, the podcast that we have even here, but a friendly reminder, they're very different from from the Bombcast and the Beastcast. But it was still a a big influence, and yeah, that that one hit me hard. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, Nack, I know you've also you know followed the the Giant Bob community for the last couple of years. So how did you feel after finding out the news? Yeah, the same. Um, I was uh late to the party on giant bomb i know that you and dan k goku from friendly reminder had been members of the community for a lot longer than than i had when i first kind of showed up and started listening to their podcasts and um seeing their content not just on their site but what whatever they end up posting on youtube as well um actually youtube is where i saw most of their stuff um and yeah, I gotta say, I never, I, I, to be completely honest with everybody, I don't really get into podcasts. I have a hard time um, finding them to be engaging. A lot of times, even if I enjoy the content that's in the in the podcast, it's just I don't know what it is, but something about sitting there and listening to a podcast. I just don't understand podcasts. So I'm glad that if you're listening to the podcast, you you enjoy it. Um, the only podcast that ever really resonated with me was the giant beast cast and it resonated so deeply with me. I, every Friday morning was a treat to be able to drive to work and put on the new episode of the beast cast. Um, I had become, uh, uh, very, you know, when you listen to a group of people that have been talking about their gaming lives and a little, you know, you get little glimpses of their personal lives as well. You start to understand who they are as people and where they're coming from. There's the, I I guess I'll call it the lore of the podcast. Um, Their inside jokes, you know, all of that. Um, It becomes a part of your, like, a a part of your week, you know. It becomes a a moment that you look forward to in your week. Um, I was also very... uh, emotional uh when i heard about this it is a very emotional final episode of that beast cast that they did it was great that they had austin and abby and dan back on um former former members of the beast cast um it was it was a nice way for things to end and they have not they still haven't um vinnie and brad and and alex still have not uh kind of said what's gonna be next for them, whether they're going to be working together on something new or whether they're kind of going their separate ways. I definitely look forward to that. All three of them are fantastic, uh, uh, content creators. I, it's, I guess it's, it's difficult to call them journalists. I don't know if that really applies 
anymore uh, based on what they had been doing at Giant Bomb. It wasn't exactly journalism. Yeah, um, and I think they would say we're not journalists. Um, yeah. They're just personalities, you know, gaming yeah. personalities, yeah. The commentators. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, yeah. Was, it, was, it was rough. Um, and even things at the Giant Bomb cast are different without Brad. Um, so, yeah, I, it's... Uh, it's I don't want to say unfortunate. I think that, that it's probably what was right for all three of them. And so mm-hmm. I'm glad that they're doing what they need to do and they're able to leave what seems like amicably. Um, it seems like they're not, uh, you know, of course, what they what they do while they're on camera and while they've got mics in front of them uh, is definitely a show and they definitely don't put it all out there. But it did seem in those final streams and those final podcasts that they did that they were leaving on good terms so i'm i look forward to seeing whatever it is that they do next and if they're listening to this (laughs) i wish them the best (laughs) yeah same you know like i'm as sad as i was i'm also a big advocate of when people know that a chapter in their lives is done um and there's you know um, there's nothing left to do in, in that part of their lives and um, that when they realize that it's time to move on to the next step and, you know, they do it. Um, I always encourage that. It's it's always, um, I think, a good thing to to know when it's time to move on to the next step of your life. So, uh, again, I, I also wish them the best and want to thank them for really a lot of memories, a lot of inside jokes. Uh, again, it's it's difficult for me to tell people like, why am I sad about these people that I, I, I've never met leaving this podcast? And it's just that it builds the, the closest thing I can compare it to is us, right? Like it's, it's like the inside jokes that we have, uh, the, the kind of back and forth banter that we have. Um, over time, it's, it's, it's like I was in on those jokes. I was in on the joke about Jeremiah or Dan wanting to be an in-play racquetball or Reggie Fizome saying fuck them to, to the people that <laughs> that didn't buy a Wii U or something like that. You know, it's all those inside jokes that I'm always gonna uh, gonna look back to and laugh and yeah, wish them the best. It's, it's tough to see them go, but hopefully we get to hear from them in the future. I do also want to stress that giantbomb.com, the website, um, that is still going. Um, it's going to be different. It's going to be, uh, you know, with, with these personalities not there, it's going to be something else. But the website is not shutting down. They're going to be creating content. I'm also going to give them a chance, you know, give Jeff a chance. He's going to stay there. He's He was the originator. And, you know, best of luck to them as well. And they've got, I mean, there's still great um, Jeff Bacalar, the other Jeff, is now a part of the bomb cast. They've had Danny O'Dwyer, who is, if you have not seen No Clip, dude, finish listening to this podcast first, and then go to No Clip on YouTube. It, it They are some of the best, if not the best, video game documentaries out there. They're all crowdfunded. Um, that is Danny O'Dwyer. He, I think he's now. Have they said he's a permanent member of the Bombcast? I don't know. He's I been w- there for like. Yeah, I was looking into that. It looks like he a is. A few months, but I I don't okay. know if he's ever like made that commitment. Uh, Jeff Bacalar did make that commitment that he is going to be yeah. a permanent member. So I'm going to listen to that. It's you know not entirely the same. Also, I I don't know if I should be promoting gaming. <laughs> podcast competitors but yeah. i don't care um you know dan reichert is is also part of the fire escape podcast uh with mary kish and and mike mahardy who then they're they've also been great so there's still plenty yeah, of gaming great. podcasts that we have to beat into submission in the future yeah 
plenty of competition. But at least, but at least we beat one. <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna put let's let's put these two Nintendo stories together. Um, the first one. Liz, Nintendo announced a game builder garage, which I'm I'm curious as to what you think about this game, Nack, as a as a game developer yourself. But it looks like the goal of this game is to get a younger audience into the idea of, of creating a video game. Now, Nintendo has kind of explored this territory before with Super Mario Maker, uh, but obviously that that's that's a uh, a much broader tool. This, this seems like it gets a little bit more into the nitty gritty of gaming creation. Obviously, for for a young audience, it's it's not coding, it's not anything like that. But it's kind of a, a tool to get younger gamers um, to wrap their heads around creating a video game. Um, I've seen the trailer; it, it looks pretty cool. I haven't really looked into all the details of this game, but you know, as a as a game creator yourself, Nick, what what do you think of this this announcement? I I'm so excited. I am so happy that this is a thing. I think the I when I when I read tweets and look into the backgrounds of some of my favorite um, indie developers, especially, but really just game game devs in general, um, the one common thread that always kind of runs through all of them is that they've been making games or modifying games or being part of the consumption of games outside of just playing games for uh, since childhood. They always talk about the games that they were making while they were in middle school or high school. Um, and I think that the thing that, that I mean, that's great. I, I would love for kids to be doing that, but it hasn't always been so accessible for everybody. So the fact that they're putting this on Switch and just giving all of these Switch owners a tool set to make games, especially in a way that is geared towards a younger audience and and is probably not as granular as something like Dreams on the PS4, um, which was a very uh, powerful tool for game creation, but also uh, had a very high barrier to entry. Um, I, I cannot wait to see what kids come up with or just people coming come up with on Game Builder Garage. Um, I actually I I teach at a middle school and um, I had I had been before I heard about Game Builder Garage. I had been talking with my principal about starting up a game design club after school for kids at my school next year. Um, and um, so this might be something that I would be able to integrate into that um, to demonstrate some game design concepts. And yeah, it's like that does a lot of my job for me, right? Like instead of me having to teach coding, now it's just anything that's a drag and drop coding solution for kids, I'm always going to be all for it. Um, I can't wait, dude. I think this is going to be so, so cool. Um, so yeah. I think one thing... Give it three months before they make Melee and Nintendo has to cease and desist itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, that's one of the things, right, is we're, they've shown how basic and simple it can be, um, and they showed that it can definitely go beyond that, and we'll see to the, the, the degree to which people can stretch this tool set and make some unique and cool stuff. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I will say that I think this game will live and die by its sharing, of content between users. Um, I think that with the Mario Maker games, it was great that you could get in there and play game or play levels that people had created. 
But by that same token, the, the other side of that coin was that the the algorithm that would that would show you levels and things like that was not the best. It wasn't great to find what you really wanted um, unless you had the, the stupid code or whatever um, that would be shared on, on another through other channels. Um, so I hope that the um, the experience, the user experience for finding levels and or I guess not levels, but finding games that people have made is streamlined and, and made in a way such that you can search by like genre, by creator. Um, I think that'll be really important. And they haven't said anything about how that's going to work. So, um, but does it really need that though? I mean, if it's a good concept, like I. I... I keep when when I saw this, I immediately thought of Griffball mm-hmm. from the Halo series, which was like a crazy, nothing like Halo, it just breaking the 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 game simulator, breaking the 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 level editor into making this thing, and it didn't take long for Bungie to be like, "Holy crap, this is awesome! We're gonna throw it into matchmaking." I, I think it was maybe a few months that it ran privately. Yeah, but. Just based on, I don't think this is. I don't think this is the same thing. That was that was taking something that wasn't intended for making a different game and kind of shoehorning that stuff in. And yeah, Bungie saw it and said, "Yeah, that's great." I don't think that'll happen for two reasons: a, this is Nintendo; they're not going to do that, and b, this this has a different goal than the level editor on Halo Two, or was it Halo Three? I think. Halo 3 was grip. I think it was Reach, actually. Oh, was it Reach? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Because it had the hammer, right? Yeah, Halo 3 had the hammer, didn't it? Uh, anyways, whatever. Um, anyway, I, I don't... I think that what's more important is that the discoverability of good game, user-created games is is good and and not just based on how many votes a thing gets or how many, you know, that's that's got to be up there, too, but... Um, I just hope that the shareability of games and the discoverability is improved upon from what we saw with Mario Maker 1 and 2. Um, That's, I guess, what I'm trying to say is that Nintendo, it's going to depend exclusively on Nintendo because look at Dota's origins, right? Like it was on Warcraft 3 for like six years before it finally became something that was distributed through Steam. And I mean, Blizzard was actively against doing anything like that so much that they didn't you know, they pushed it down. So the, the the content and the quality of the creator is already present. It's just going to depend on Nintendo to yeah. not. I mean, yeah, fuck that's, it up. that's exactly what I'm saying. Is like, yeah, it's going to be on Nintendo to put that those that functionality in the game and not make it the bullshit. Oh, share your code. You know, like it's got to be it's got to be easy to to get to the games that that you want to get to. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. And I even w- I want to see what how long Nintendo supports this because there's been some examples like um, Smash Ultimate and Animal Crossing um, that they've showed you know support for years and years. But Super Mario Maker Two was one of those instances where it lo- they seemed like they created a great tool set and a great game in general, but then they let the community down. Um, not yeah. only that because sharing was such a mess, but also they stopped supporting that game like about less than a year into its existence. Um, yeah, they put and- out like one update that added a what what did they uh, they they added something pretty substantial but then yeah after yeah. that it was they added they added dead like the, the, water. the super mario world where you could kind of create the actual That's right. world like you can create link link levels together um but yeah they they didn't i i 
thought for sure they were going to add another like, oh, here's the Super Mario like Brothers tile two, set, yeah, uh, yeah, tile set or something. They never did that out yeah. um, uh, outside of the base game. So hopefully with this game they they continue to support it for for quite a while. But yeah. that remains to be seen. Yeah, we'll see. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for another good Nintendo, bad Nintendo. <laughs> We've already seen the good Nintendo. Uh, game Builder Garage looks like a promising new uh, experience for gamers young and old. Uh, now let's talk about bad Nintendo. Gus, what the fuck? Yeah, so we're all pretty stoked about the Skyward Sword HD um, remake that's coming out. Oh, yeah. Remaster that's coming up, right? Like, Can't yeah, wait to I play that again. Fan. Oh, yeah. Love um, it. So, you know, whether you like the game or you don't like the game, this particular news is just absolutely um, insulting. Um, so there's going to be a fast travel feature in, in the new uh, Skyward Sword, which is great. You know, that I think fast travel is always a great addition. It's one of those things that, hey, maybe they're respecting my, my time, a video game respecting my time. Um, except the only way you can get access to this fast travel system is that uh, you have to purchase the... Um, the amiibo it's a zelda and loftwing amiibo um it costs 25 dollars um it's also an amiibo so good luck finding it um and if you don't have it there is no fast travel system for you and when when patrick klepik reached out to nintendo for clarification on this and their answer was something to the effect of there's this amiibo he said so Ah, fuck. It wasn't even I a message with that. it. They, they just linked him they, to where you can buy the Amiibo. That's, that's right. all it was. It was oh, just a they straight pointed, link. They pointed dude, it to the website. Dude. Yeah. Ugh. So... So yeah, and again, it's it's not even uh, obviously the the fact that you have to purchase an additional twenty five dollars is insulting in itself. But even if you wanted to, a lot of us aren't going to be able to because those things sell out immediately. So for a, a lot of people. That's just not going to be a, an option. You just you just locked it behind this 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 amiibo. And to be honest with you, I felt like Nintendo has been doing this a little too much. I felt like they did that too much with Breath of the Wild. There were a lot of cool costumes that were that were locked uh, behind an amiibo. I think the like the Ganondorf one uh, was was That's locked all behind cosmetic, an amiibo, man. but. It is, it is, but it still would be awesome if I could find that within the game. Um, but yes, you're right. This, that was cosmetic, and the, yes, uh, the, again, uh, this this is another. Yeah, it was cool, and I wanted it, and I didn't want to buy like twenty amiibos. I'm sorry, uh, I played that game for hundreds of hours. <laughs> Damn it! This is yeah, but but this is another thing. This is actually like a, a, a game whole feature, quality of life feature, a, a quality of life game feature that you're just yeah, you're just locking up behind this stupid amiibo it's not stupid it's actually pretty cool looking but still but the armors in breath of the wild weren't just cosmetic though yeah no they were they were functional they were mechanical changes yeah like finding the uh the little what are they called the coro the coro nuts or whatever and some of the masks hid you from the enemies remember did they yeah yeah but, but I mean, you could yeah. wear a Lionel mask and walk right up to a Lionel. He wouldn't do shit. Well, I mean, he would question you, and then after a while, then he'd be like, "Okay," but he wouldn't immediately attack you. Yeah. So I guess yeah. Nintendo was always shitty. They're not any shittier now. That's great argument. That's <laughs> no. I think this is no. I think that is somewhat shitty. I think this is much shittier. A quality of life feature should not be locked behind any kind of microtransaction. Are you fucking kidding me? On a game like Skyward Sword that has the worst fucking possible traversal imaginable 
it is i'm embarrassed to even have to call it a zelda game based on the way traversal works in that game and then they lock the fast travel behind an additional purchase unbelievable isn't there argument though that i've seen on the internet where this could have been an unintentional oversight and that they haven't come out and said that they do you and i'm just playing devil's advocate really at this point i hate this just as much as you do but i i've seen argument that it's possible that nintendo will add this feature to be unlocked in the game they just said that you can get it immediately through this amiibo they haven't said specifically okay. that you can't Not before get it. making 25 bucks a Dude, pop i as somebody who makes games i can tell you that the trigger that activates this has nothing to do with an amiibo the amiibo just shows that the amiibo is there and then a boolean is set to true in the game and you unlock fast travel that that could be just unlocked from the minute you start the game up and the argument that okay maybe nintendo is doing this now to get people to buy the amiibo and then they'll add the support in for it later it makes it even fucking worse so no Mm. there is no How, how do you how do you figure how is that worse? Yeah. Because then people are going to rush out to buy this Amiibo so that they unlock something thinking that it will be the only way to to unlock it when Nintendo knows that they're going to be unlocking it later on. Okay, that doesn't make it worse to me. That makes it slightly better. It's still awful. But the fact that you can potentially maybe have hope in getting it without spending $25 on an Amiibo you have to go hunt down is a little bit less shitty right because right. it's off but, money but that's or speculation no. we don't know if yeah. they're gonna you're add right. that and and you're right i mean look look when there's a when a developer does a remaster of, of a video game there's essentially two things two priorities right one is to make it look prettier the other one is to streamline it whatever quality add quality of life experiences um make it a more enjoyable um just process overall and Nintendo has a history of doing this. They did it with Wind Waker. Um, you know, they did it yeah. with with Twilight Princess HD. And in this one, like I, I can't imagine that they couldn't see this coming, right? Like you're yeah. putting fast travel. Fast travel is is usually like, and well. Skyward Sword is not an open world game, but any kind of adventure game that's usually something people really enjoy, and you put this behind a toy, um, and you know it's it's as as you mentioned, Nick, it's microtransactions. It's an additional purchase that you have to make to get something that should be there from the very beginning, and just the hope of it being added on in the future doesn't make it right. Yeah, no way. I just want to believe that this company that I have loved and adored for pretty much my entire life existence isn't as shitty as that's, it looks like. That's not allowed on this segment. This nope. is good Nintendo, bad Nintendo. Yeah, we've already made the presumption. I'm is. sad. <laughs> that, this is so blatantly disrespectful to my time. Now, I, I, like, I do have to say, for full transparency, I'm not, I wasn't going to fucking buy this game any, either way. Me neither. I thought Skyward yep. Sword was a piece of shit game. It's not a piece of shit game. But I thought it was a very bad Zelda game. It's the and, worst Zelda we've seen in like 20 yeah. years. And I, you know, so I wasn't going to buy it anyway. But just the fact that that this company that has really no reason to do this other than to very obviously milk its audience, it just, it's shitty. It's just shitty, you know? Come on. It, this, it's, I think Gus makes a really good point. The entire reason that we have remasters obviously cosmetically you know visually we want to see these upgrades but also the idea is that you bring it into 
what we have as the current design sensibilities about games, right? You make those quality of life changes. You make the changes that bring it on to, to, to be on par with games that are coming out today. And this doesn't do that. This adds a, a very uh, necessary, you know, uh, industry standard. I hate that term, but industry standard feature. It locks it behind an additional purchase that I won't even call a microtransaction because 25 bucks is not a fucking microtransaction. Yeah, that's half that's the half price the of the game. fucking... Yeah, yep. so forget that. No, this is bullshit. Okay. Is there anything else on bad Thanks. Nintendo? Uh, wait for next month. I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll pad it out with another good Nintendo, bad Nintendo. No, next month is E3, and they're probably gonna like unveil Breath of the Wild two, oh, and we're yeah. all gonna be like, oh my what god, is- Nintendo, we love you. <laughs> what if we get Metroid Prime four? What if, guys? I don't think. I think that's less likely than Breath of the Wild two. But but maybe we see something. I don't know. Retro's been at it, so. Yeah, we do need to kind of. I mean, well. Are there rumors that the entire like E3 exhibit is just going to be Breath of the Wild? Have we heard that? No, I don't. Like, I don't know if there are any is anything. Also, E3 is an online okay. event, so there's no, right? There's no yeah, like. It's all digital. There's no. There's no, yeah. there's no um, actual expo. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. This next one is a heavy hitter. So. Yeah. So, as you mentioned, this this is a. A bit of a heavier topic. Um, so I'm sure everybody here and perhaps many of our listeners are aware of um, some of the recent events. And I say recent, I understand that this has been going on for, for a very, very long time. But there's been some very tragic events going on in um, Gaza and the West Bank, um, which, you know, there's a lot of obfuscation going on and, and a lot of smoke screens going on. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that these recent events have resulted in the death of hundreds and hundreds of Palestinian civilians, including many children. I don't know the exact death toll where it stands now. I know that the last time I checked it, it was it was about 58 Palestinian children uh, that have died because of the current conflict uh, that's happening in the um, Gaza and the West Bank. Um, so there's a broader conversation to be had about all of that. If, if you want to check out our most recent friendly reminder, I think Dan has a great, great rundown on, on the situation there. Uh, but in terms of, of viewing this through a gaming perspective, about a week and a half ago, IGN um, posted um, a, a link. Um, the link was simply um, it was called How to Help. Palestinians, uh, Palestinian civilians, uh, and basically it linked um, viewers to um, to charities, vetted charities on how you can go and and donate to to aid um, Palestinian civilians that are just going through a horrible, horrible nightmare right now. Um, but apparently that was a, a little bit too much. And again, I want to stress that's all it was. There wasn't um, any kind of of. Called to to condemn Israel or, or anything like that. It was a link to to um, to just to aid Palestinian civilians, um, but it only lasted there for about twenty four hours because overnight it was taken down, um, and there was no word for quite a while as to why, um, until IGN actually put out a statement uh, explaining that they felt uh, that 
the the post mistakenly left the impression that we were politically aligned with one side. That was not our intention, and we sincerely regret the error, is what the statement says. Um, as soon as they put out that statement, there was a question of, well, who's we? Um, and we found out pretty quickly that it wasn't the editors. Um, it wasn't the IGN editors because uh, Vice uh, and Patrick Klepek from Vice actually put out a great article uh, citing anonymous sources that the entire IGN editorial staff was pissed about this situation. And they didn't make that call to... to um, take back the article and put out that statement. And so far, they haven't really been given a really a particularly satisfying explanation of what's going on there and why that happened. Um, I think there's been some meetings, internal meetings, uh, discussing the situation. But since then, I haven't found out there's been any kind of of adequate resolution to this. The same thing also happened with Game Informer. They put out a similar um, article that was also taken down. And again, the Game Informer staff were not aware, were not part of that decision. So I, I looked into this a little bit too. Um, and two things I wanted to bring up were the Game Informer editorial staff, or sorry, sorry, not Game Informer, the IGN editorial staff uh, did put out a, I think it was, it might have been a twit longer or a medium post or something, um, where they collectively uh, kind of brought attention to the fact that they, it was not their choice um, to pull the article and that I think they said it was pulled by upper management. Um, and they and they and they condemned that action and they, they all, uh, most of the editorial staff, at IGN uh, signed that document. Right. And and IGN is owned by uh, a parent company, um, JT Global. Um, according to the Vice article, there was, and during one of the meetings, an employee did ask if, if uh, JT Global was motivated by financial investments in Israel. Um, and the IGN COO, uh, Per Schneider, could not answer that question. So, which tells you everything you need to know, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And I keep seeing this vast disparity of classist, like it, it, this may be like the biggest example I've ever seen where it's just, there is the staff and there's the ownership and over and over and over again, you, you see this total opposite sides on the situation. And I, I don't think I've seen that with a foreign issue so clearly and vividly as I have with this. Well, and it's interesting too, because they, so I, I, the other thing I saw that kind of shed a little bit more light on what was going on was a video that Alana Pierce put together, um, who she used to work for IGN. I think she is kind of a freelancer now. Do, does she work for, uh, she's done stuff with GameSpot too, right? Um, um, I'm not She Currently she works with, uh, she works for Sony, uh, Sony Santa Monica. Oh, that's um, right. God of War. That's uh, right. People. Um, anyway, so, but she was working for IGN for some time and she kind of made a video, first of all, uh, detailing the events in the order that they happened and then also kind of giving her inside look at, at kind of how things had gone while she was at IGN. Um, and basically she said like, yeah, there's no way in hell, for, first of all, there's no way in hell that the editorial staff had anything to do with this, which I think was made very clear pretty early on in the, in the course of events, but also she brought up the point that IGN staff, uh, IGN posted during the Black Lives Matter movement in support of Black Lives Matter. IGN had supported other, um, you know, political 
causes and humanitarian causes and had supported charities and there was there was no previous occurrence of the ownership uh, you know interfering for lack of a better term with the choices that were made editorially um, and so she's she was saying that that should be ringing alarm bells basically um, so yeah I don't know this this is awful right like this this is it's it's not this isn't the podcast to talk about the political uh climate and the you know the relationship and the conflict in israel and in palestine and and gaza and the west bank and the middle east in general that's not what we do here if you want to hear that go listen to friendly reminder they do a very good job of talking about that stuff um but when it comes to games media and games journalism and journalism in general um journalism can't uh, journalists can't do their job when they have this these entities uh lording over them with the ability to pull the plug you know um and so i think that just in, in general that's that's bad not just in games journalism that's a an issue that we have seen especially in the past five years um with everything that happened throughout the Trump administration, this is something that we have seen time and time again. And it's, you know, apparently this is another case of it. And it's getting, probably going to be here for a while as long as as corporate interests play a part in, in what journalists can write and publish. But the hold that Israel has seems to be breaking, right? Like we're seeing that happening and more and more people are gaining awareness to that like it it looks like it's moving albeit slowly well i'm i sure i, I don't want to focus on the israel part of this i, I mean obviously that's that's i important. see what you're saying just the, um, the notion again i think friend friendly right. reminder go listen to that but i'm just saying in in general when it comes to journalism and and corporate interests this is a trend that we've been seeing for years, you know, for decades, really. But it's it does seem like it has gotten worse, or at least more visible, in the past five five years to a decade, I'd say. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think I mean, it's it's right. We we want to view this through a gaming perspective, but it this does call for um, you know, it, it does reflect a broader topic, which is just these media companies and, and how they're influenced and if it can even affect a benign video game uh, website posting um, a, a link to just a bunch of charities to, to help out help out Palestinian civilians then imagine how, what it can do to to other um, more politically inclined uh, media outlets so I think it's 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 an issue and um, it's it's going to continue to be one until there's more transparency and here there's there's a complete lack of transparency as to I, what's going on. I think the conservative on. argument for that just to end this sorry is the um the conservative argument politically is that businesses have to stay afloat with cash capital and that means that they have to invest in things that they think is going to be profitable and if they think that something's going to be bad for business from a journalistic perspective then they need to cancel it right. But isn't that isn't that specifically the problem? That would be a good argument right. if well, it was true. Well, but that's not true. So. Well, 
It is, but with extra steps, I think is the problem. If if your business is compromised by journalistic integrity, then maybe you shouldn't be in journalism, right? And so there's these, IGN isn't worried about the journalistic integrity in this situation. IGN has investments that directly or indirectly affect the opposing side. And so shouldn't, shouldn't you not be involved in that? Shouldn't you not have like shit or get off the pot kind of the situation? Like that's my counter argument to the conservative argument. Like this, you're, you're inherently biased and flawed from, from your, your, the, the structure that you built from, from your inception. I don't think that you get to stand on the top and be like, Oh, well I have to make money. Like, no bitch, you, you don't anymore. Like get sell off IGN, let the staff run the company. It's fine now. That's that's I guess we're seeing that in a lot of industries. That's my only comment. Like to to already counter the conservative argument, I don't think that's fair. You know. Well, I I would also even just say like the fact that we're politicizing this is is an an, an issue that that kind of permeates throughout throughout um, at least has in in our country these last couple of years where we politicize issues that should be uh, pretty pretty clear right uh, again there was no political statement really in the, in this particular article it was a link to charities that that helped out the palestinian civilians not hamas not not, not a two-state solution just palestinian civilians that are being killed being displaced or being injured during this this horrific process again those are just uh, you can talk about the entire um issue at large and there's Plenty. I mean, there's. I'm not going to get into it. But the fact of the matter is that there are people hurting or being killed and being displaced right now, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with with asking people to help them. That's just a very. That's a humanitarian cause. It's not a political one. So for both of those reasons, then there's really no argument for why this should be tolerated. I agree. I don't want to end it there because that would be a mega downer. So we do have something real big and real fun to look forward to, and of course that is E3 next month. Um, E3 is happening the weekend of June. It's It starts June 12th and ends June 15th. So it'll be that whole week in June there. And uh, I invite you, listener, to join us for the June episode of Fuck I Forgot to Save. I'm sure that by this time next month, we will have a fuckload of shit to talk about in the exciting world of video games. I want to thank my friends for joining me today on this podcast gus thanks for hanging out thanks Nack. and i'm riding this breath of the wild tour bus e3 train until the very end <laughs> okay good yeah let me so is that is that what you're looking forward to that is my prediction i think it's gonna happen nintendo do it do the right thing okay you heard it it's you've you've uh cemented your your prepare to have your heart broken yeah yeah cool that never happens <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's no letdowns in the games industry uh eric what are you looking forward to from e3 predictions things you're looking forward to i have no predictions uh i haven't yeah i haven't really looked into it at all i i, I i'm I, i'm pessimistic about breath of the wild too but if i had anything to look forward to it would be that probably. Hmm. okay I, I don't have an extra console so i don't have anything i'm looking forward to really yet but and i've got a huge backlog yeah. Um, <laughs> well, Sony and Microsoft aren't even participating, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Microsoft and is, Sony. Sony, is Sony will do their own. Sony. You can you can bet they'll do something. Uh, it's not under the E3 banner, but they'll have something to show. They're not going to waste the opportunity. Yeah, they're not going to let this go by. 
Uh, Justin, what are you looking forward to? I mean, if Sony's going to be announcing, like I'm hoping for God of War Five. I mean, we've only heard that it's that it's happening. You mean God of War Two? Whatever, get out of here. Whatever. <laughs> it's just God of War One again. How do you know it's not just a reboot of the reboot? Oh, it's called. Actually, I don't know if they've. Is it the official title is God of War Ragnarok, or is that just they like teased the? I think that's the title. I think that's. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Is it? Yeah, God of War Ragnarok. Yeah, they they've it. I mean, there's a teaser trailer out there. Well, Ragnarok implying that it's Nordic now. Is well, that it was, as right? opposed to the previous God of oh, War? Oh, right. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> you need to refresh your memory, there, buddy. <laughs> cool. All right, Justin. Thanks for coming on. I'm glad you're so informed on this topic that we discuss here every month. Uh. I want Metroid Prime 4. That's all I want. I know I'm not getting it, yeah. but you asked me what I want. Yeah, okay. So Fair enough. Yeah. For my part... Maybe Sonic will be in Smash. Yeah, good luck with that. For my part, I'm looking forward to, obviously, I think I think we'll see Breath of the Wild 2. Uh, I think Metroid Prime 4 is uh, probably 1 to 9 on that one. Uh, very unlikely that we see anything. If we do see anything, um, knowing that Retro kind of had to restart work on it and is probably keeping very little of what was originally done um in-house at nintendo i think probably if we get anything it'll be just a very small teaser um but also silk song hollow knight silk song we've got to see something right i i I was gutted that they didn't show anything on it at that latest uh indie world showcase so i'm hoping to see something for silk song um maybe even a shadow drop I don't know. At, at this point, Silk Song is just as unlikely as Metroid Prime 4. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, what are you looking forward to, listener? Leave a comment below. I don't know if that works on podcasts. Um, but maybe. I don't know. But we'll see you next time right here on Fuck I Forgot to Save. Thanks for listening. See you next time.